everybody. Welcome back to the Free Trail Podcast. Thanks so much for being here. Of course, I'm your host, Dylan Bowman, and I'm super excited to introduce you to our guest today. I suspect that Cam Smith's name might be an unfamiliar one to most of you listeners of the show, but this kid is the real deal. And if all things progress as they have been to this point in his career, he may eventually be an Olympian one day. That's right. It could be that four years from right now, we are all sitting on our couches, screaming at our televisions, cheering this kid on as he competes as a ski mountaineer, which is going to be debuting in the 2026 games. Uh, But for those of you who have been around the sport of trail running for some time, and especially those who follow the European side of the sport, you will know that ski mountaineering is a complimentary winter activity that many of the best trail runners in the world focus on in the colder months of the year. Ski mountaineering as a sport has been experiencing massive growth, explosive growth in North America, much like trail running, both on a competitive and a recreational level. And our guest today, Mr. Cam Smith, is at the forefront of a new generation of American ski mountaineering athletes making their mark on the sport on the international level. In fact, a few weeks ago in January, Cam became the first American to ever podium in a World Cup seniors ski mountaineering race, taking home a proud third place finish in a vertical race in Andorra. The winner of the race was none other than Mr. Remy Bonet, the Swiss ski mountaineering and trail running champion you're probably familiar with and who you probably follow on Instagram. Again, these two sports are so complimentary. And speaking of which, Cam Smith is not just a great ski mountaineer, he is also a great trail runner who has started to gain experience and pile up podium performances at big races like the Pikes Peak Marathon and the Rut and many more. And at only 26 years old, I suspect that we will be hearing his name for years to come as a multi-sport, multi-season, endurance, Swiss army knife powerhouse. Ski mountaineering, like I said, will be part of the 2026 Olympic Games, a subject that we talk about in this conversation, along with a deep dive into Cam's background, his experience and development in both sports, his goals for the future, and much more. I hope you guys all enjoy the conversation. This was honestly just a blast to record. Before we go, a thank you to Speedland, my shoe sponsor and the presenting partner of the Free Trail Podcast. There's not much inventory left of the debut SLPDX, and once they're gone, they're gone. The commission is gone forever before the next one, the SLHS fee, which will be released at some point here this spring, I think, uh, to be determined. So anyway, go get yourself a pair at runspeedland.com. Use code FREETRAIL15, capital F, FREETRAIL15 for 15% off your purchases. Thank you so much to Speedland. Okay, hope you guys enjoy getting to know Cam Smith. We'll see you in the outro. Cam Smith, broadcasting from Crested Butte, Colorado. How are you, buddy? Hey, I'm doing great, Dylan. How are you? Good. Welcome to the podcast, man. I'm super excited to have you. This is our first time ever talking. 
Yeah, that's great. Uh, yeah. I've, uh, I've been listening to all the other podcasts. I'm a fan, so I was honored to, to get a message from you. Yeah, man. Well, shout out to uh, Sean Van Horn, who uh, lives oh, in the cool. Roaring Fork Valley, also a ski mountaineering athlete. He was the one who forwarded me your Instagram from the awesome race that we'll talk about uh, from a few weeks ago when you were the first American to land on the podium in a World Cup ski mountaineering race. I was like, you know what? I got to have Cam on the podcast. This is such a great story and you're such a great athlete. And I think there's so much for us to talk about. Um, but I guess to to begin with, tell the people you're just returning home, as we were talking about before pressing record. Tell the people what you've been up to over the past few weeks. Yeah, I just got home from about a month-long trip in Europe doing a bunch of World Cup races for Schemo or Schemo Engineering. So we were racing all over the Alps, we went Andorra, France, Switzerland, Italy is a big, big loop. And then just flew home the other day. And um, we were talking about our superpower jet lag of now getting up early in the morning and <laughs> yeah, feeling good readjusting to, to the US. Yeah, awesome. So you basically just like race every weekend or how long were you over there? And what was the competition schedule like? Yeah, so it was four uh, weekends and we did four different races. So at any world cup, they usually have an individual, which is kind of like the main event of the sport. It's like the 90 minute up and down a bunch of times, kind of like what you'd think of with a schema race and then either a vertical. So just uphill or a sprint, which is like everything condensed in a super short race. So at any world cup weekend, there's like two, sometimes all three of those. And then there was one weekend off where we just did some like random local race in France, which was amazing. Yeah. We're like, oh, we're in this town. Like, let's find the closest race on Saturday. And it was like this amazing little like French village with all the like 200 local skiers and they're handing out blocks of cheese and there's <laughs> hundreds of people out cheering. And yeah, I just found some random amazing race. So, so even on yeah. the, the rest weekend, you packed in a race. I guess. Yeah. I mean, like while you're over there, it's, it's fun to just make the yeah. most of the time and compete and yeah, just gain, gain experience. When in Rome, almost literally. Right. So yeah, exactly. I actually <laughs> taught the phrase when in Rome to somebody <laughs> there who um, obviously spoke French and their English was, was great. But um, I was like, Oh, in English, we have a phrase called when in Rome. And then he's, he like started going a little further with it. He's like, Oh, when in a rush, you eat cheese and when in this place you do this. Like, yeah, you got the idea. Yeah, yeah it's nice. like make hay while the sun is shining sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Another great American uh, saying. So yeah. well, cool, man. Well, you know, as we were just saying, this is our first time connecting in person Well, over the miracle of Zoom. Um, and I'm super excited to have you on the podcast. Um, and I have to say, you know, the first time I heard your name was through our mutual friend, Mike Foote, also a great American ski mountaineering and trail running athlete yeah. and a dear friend of mine over the course of many years. And it was actually, I bumped into him at the Sunlight Ski Mountain in um, Glenwood Springs, Colorado. It was the day before you guys had one of your racing competitions and I was out there just doing some laps on my touring setup and uh, it was sort of a serendipitous encounter with Mike. And I was asking him about the competitive field. Cause I think it was like maybe a qualifier for the U S team or something like that. And he mentioned your name and he was basically like, yeah, Cam's basically like the only guy right now who can hang with John Gaston. Who's like the pride of the roaring fork Valley. Great, yeah, great, great. ski mountaineering <laughs> athlete. And, um, 
So, you know, that was the first time that you sort of came into my consciousness. And then a couple months later, you just absolutely kicked my ass at the Grand Traverse. And we'll talk all about that stuff. But first, because, you know, this is obviously mostly a trail running audience and, you know, you're relatively new. You're really just kind of breaking into the trail running side of the sport. Um, Give the people like a condensed version of your life story, uh, who you are, where you're from, and sort of how you found yourself into this world of mountain sport. Yeah, well, firstly, Mike's a great hype man. I'm, I'm president of his fan club, and then he he re- returned the favor. So we have a lot of busy work trying to yeah keep up on the fan club administration. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, so my name's Cam. I live in Crested Butte, uh, like you mentioned, and um, love all things mountain sport. But before that, grew up in Rockford, Illinois, which is not really the mountain sport mecca that you'd imagine it to be. Dude, I see you reacting. No <laughs> shit. So my dad is from Rockford, Illinois. And of course I have really? a huge family and they grew up sort of in the heyday of the industrial era of Rockford, Illinois. And I still have a lot of family that lives there. My dad is a, like a diehard fan of cheap oh, trick. You're joking. The, the pride yes. of the town, the band from Rockford, Illinois. This is so great. Amazing. Oh, that's incredible. <laughs> Sorry yeah, also you. your listeners should no, Rockford, Illinois. It is kind of the mountain sport metropolis, maybe a little bit. Um, <laughs> My dad calls it yeah, the center of the universe. Yeah, center of the yeah. universe. Yeah, exactly. Like you mentioned, the industrial era where we're famous for being the fastener capital of the world. So like screws and nails and stuff, they called it Screw City. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. It, yeah. It I remember have a lot to... <laughs> I visited there a bunch when we were younger and uh, just sort of visiting family and stuff. And I remember like the chiclets factory was in town, yeah. like the gum factory was in Rockford, Illinois. But yeah. Yeah. That's so cool, man. Midwestern yeah. roots. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That's, that's the Midwest for you is they come up with their couple things they're proud of and they <laughs> yeah. just really <laughs> take those further than they need to be. <laughs> but, no doubt. Um, yeah, so I grew up in Rockford and, uh, I ran was kind of my sport growing up and I loved it. Like it was the first thing, like I really gained like identity from and confidence from, and yeah, just like loved the sport. And I, I wouldn't say like I was ever a great runner. Like I never went to like a, even like a high school state meet or anything, but like loved competing as hard as I could. And, um, like I was listening to your podcast with Jill, uh, we, Wheatling, Wheatley, yep. Wheatley, yeah. The other day, and you guys were talking about learning more from sport than you ever would have from the classroom. And it was definitely like that for me of, um, like finding out about myself and what I value, and um, yeah, like all the traits instilled by great coaches and stuff. Home, um, but um, yeah, loved running. It didn't always love me back the way that I wish it did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had a lot of like injury issues and such as a teenager, like stress fractures and Achilles stuff, and. Like I loved the sport so much that like I would have this like twinge in my Achilles and miss a day or like have this twinge in my foot and miss a week. And I'd be like, yeah, all out of sorts and devastated. And I was like, I can't keep doing this yeah. <laughs> like love hate relationship with a sport like this. And, and so I was going to the school called Western state, um, now Western Colorado university in Gunnison. And I was planning to walk onto the cross country team. I don't think they really knew or cared that I was coming. (laughs) Um, But it was like, yeah, I was really excited about the school and they have a great program that a lot of people might be familiar with uh, in D2 NCAA running. And uh, I eventually, yes, like when I decided I wasn't running anymore, like I was already 
signed up for classes and kind of squared away to go to school. And, um, yeah, I thought I'd just go anyway and do something else other than run competitively. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and my older sister, fortunately was already a student at Western and she also coming from Rockford, like learned how to mountain bike and do all these cool things. And she was rock climbing and training for the Grand Traverse ski race from Crestview to Aspen. And she was like, Oh great. So like, now that you're not doing the like running thing, like you can join me doing all these fun things. And I was like, Oh, what? Like, <laughs> like what am I getting into? And she helped me find a super cheap old mountain bike. And, uh, yeah, just kind of got me into all the sports out here. And like, that was kind of the plan originally. It was like, Oh, like I'll like learn to do all these other cool things, which like helped me enjoy the cool new place that I am without uh, having to like dive into the competitive side of things. And it was really, yeah, just like a way to make the most of being in Gunnison. So awesome. she convinced me to join the mountain bike team. She convinced me to join the Nordic ski team, which I was also learning. <laughs> we got to talk about Nordic too, because we yeah, have a running sure. commentary about Nordic skiing on the program. Yeah. <laughs> How the hell did you and your sister um, end up in Gunnison of all places from Rockford, Illinois? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Our parents have, actually met as students at Western and multi-generational then multi-generational <laughs> alumni. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and like aunts and uncles and cousins went there. Um, but it's funny, like everybody kind of made their way to Western, like individually, you know, like it was the last place I wanted to be actually. It's bizarre like, oh, too. Like, I mean, for listeners, Gunnison's like a very remote part of the state of Colorado. I mean, for sure. the, the yeah. closest town that people will have really heard of those who aren't from the mountain west is Crested Butte. And that's even a very, very remote ski resort destination by Colorado standards when you compare it to the resorts in Summit County or even like Aspen and Telluride. Crested Butte's like hard to get to. So Gunnison's a very strange place yeah. to end up. But a very sure, an yeah. awesome place. An awesome place. Yeah, it's amazing. There's probably like seven or eight thousand people in the town and like two thousand people that go to the school. So yeah, it was pretty um yeah, like I can see why you'd be confused of how we all found our way there. Yeah. But so, essentially, like my sister had heard of it because of our parents. Then I like visited my sister and I was like, oh, this place is pretty cool. So even though I don't want to do what everyone else does, like I'm convinced that this is, <laughs> yeah. It's so amazing. it's interesting. Now looking back, do you view this sort of as a, a blessing coming from the high school, more organized running tradition? And then sort of giving up on that and then moving to a mountain town, but having that love of running and that sort of discipline of training and then having, because now you're such a versatile athlete and we'll go into it. But, you know, you mentioned earlier that you had struggled with some injuries in high school. And so when you arrived at Western State, uh, were you able to stay more healthy because you were doing more versatile sporting uh as recreation rather than competition yeah it's been a an amazing change um like i literally haven't missed a day of running for like an ache or twinge or injury since high school so eight years now and i'm like not even afraid to knock on wood anymore because at this (laughs) point i'm like well like i've had my good run like the injury gods can come get me but like i literally haven't had a single not even like injury but not even like an ache or a twinge in eight years which has been amazing and part of that is i'm not running every day even in the summer i'm probably running like three or four days a week and then not at all for six months but um it's been yeah pretty remarkable change yeah i mean it's 
a great lesson, isn't it? Just to be a versatile athlete and to change things up with the seasons. And if we think about the European athletes in the sport too, like Francois Dane, who spends the entire winter on skis and he's like the most consistent runner in our sports history, it feels like at least the most consistent top performer. And he's just been able to stay healthy. I think it has a lot to do with the fact that on the European side of the sport, they're much better at implementing other sporting disciplines into their training throughout the year. So let's talk about cross-country skiing a little bit because I sure. teased this a second ago <laughs> and uh, I just had Jim Walmsley on the podcast and even he, a great champion, was talking about just how hard cross-country skiing is. And I know you do a bit of that there in the Crested Butte area. Talk about that sport and maybe how it helped you to develop not only as an aerobic athlete, but specifically for ski mountaineering, which we'll sort of transition to in a minute. Yeah, I, I really like it for all kinds of reasons. But firstly, like how awesome was that proposal story that Jim shared? <laughs> <laughs> so good. Yeah. Incredible. <laughs> um, but yeah, I really like it just to have a change of pace still in the winter. So like since I'm not running or biking at all in the winter, it's like a time to get out of hard shell ski boots. And it's a lot more time efficient. Like I don't have to like, um, yeah, ski for as long to feel like I get as much out of it. And there's definitely like a physiological stamp or component to using your upper body and core more and like the dynamic balance with being on those tiny little skis and moving fast. And yeah, just like being athletic in a different way. I think that everyone can, can gain something from Nordic skiing, whether it's skate or classic, there's tons of benefit. Yeah. Are you watching the Olympics right now? I haven't caught up on it myself, but that's usually one of my favorite things to watch during the winter games. Have you caught up on it or have the Nordic races started? Yeah, I haven't watched anything live. Like I'm not committed enough to watch in the middle of the night for it. But yeah, Jesse Diggins just won a bronze medal in the freestyle sprint. And then Rosie Brennan was one place behind her, nice. uh, which is super exciting. And it's the first individual women's medal. Um, and then, yeah, to have Rosie right there in fourth is awesome. Awesome. Patriotism. Yeah. Good for us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're doing great. <laughs> so so let's uh, talk about ski mountaineering. And obviously, I think most of the people who listen to the podcast are going to be familiar with the sport or at least have sort of a rudimentary knowledge of what it entails. But maybe for those who don't, just kind of set the table with just a general description of the sport. And also, you sort of explained it earlier, but the different styles of racing, just to set things up for this part of the conversation. Sure. Yeah. So schema or ski mountaineering racing is more or less backcountry skiing, but racing. So I won't get too into the equipment or anything, but it's essentially like climbing up and skiing down under your own power. Um, and like independent of ski lifts. So you can do it on a ski area, but you can also backcountry ski anywhere that there's snow, uh, essentially. So schema racing is then taking that sport and making it into a competitive race setting. So there's all kinds of different disciplines. There's the individual, they call it, where it's like a 90-minute race, a three to five climbs and descents. There's always a part where you boot pack, so you put your skis on your back and you're climbing on foot. Um, sometimes pretty technical, like using like your hands or ropes on ridges and such. And um, yeah, then skiing the descent. So it's timed mass start, start to finish, and like along this predetermined course. So that's the individual. And then there's the vertical, which you just start at the bottom and finish at the top, just like an all out mass start race. Basically like a, a VK for the trail running audience. Effectively, exactly. But on yeah. skis. Yep. Yeah. 
yeah, just like slightly slower since you're like <laughs> lugging a little yeah. more around on your feet. Yeah. Um, and then there's the sprint, which is kind of the new discipline where they try to take all the elements of the individual and put it into a super short course. So it's only one climb and descent. And then there's a boot pack in there and like a GS gated ski descent. And it's like three to five minutes long. And they essentially just like created this format to make it really spectator friendly, um, which is good. They did, which then made it more appealing to the Olympic organizers yep. of like, okay, how can we televise this? Yeah. Um, and those three are kind of the main like world cup events, but then there's the longer like classic team races where you compete in teams of two with a partner and stay together. Just like some running races are yeah. starting like, to do too. And, um, there's relays, uh, but neither of the yeah, relay or team events are contested at World Cups. So what do you consider your strength as, a, in, as part of those racing disciplines? Are you better at the individual or the verticals or the sprints? Like, where do you see your skill set most, uh, most aligned with those race categories? Yeah, I have this daydream in my head of like being the super technically proficient skier that crushes people on descents and technical climbing, but it's just not true. Yeah. <laughs> um, where like my strength is like non-technical, like steep, hard, slow moving climbing. Yeah. So like the vertical is my best event. I really love the individual and I love racing the sprint, but my skiing's not quite on par with the top Euro guys. And then I'm just like not powerful enough for the the sprint, but like I love contesting both of those and doing my best anyway. So cool. Yeah. Well, it's a great description. And now knowing that you're from Rockford, Illinois, and thinking about the athletes that you're competing against who grew up in the mountains, probably doing a lot of technical downhill skiing, you could see that it's going to take you a little while longer to develop that skill compared to them. And luckily you're still very young. So you'll be contesting at the highest level, I think, for a long time. But you also mentioned, you know, obviously it combines not only, you know, aerobic fitness, but also technical skiing ability and sort of like this technical um, sort of skills and techniques and stuff. So talk about that part of the sport, the transitions and things like that. Yeah, there's, it's a really complicated sport for better or for worse. Like the technical components, whether that's like the actual technique of movement or the gear is a huge, huge component of the racing. Like you could take someone with a world-class engine, like a pro tour cyclist or like a world-class runner, whoever that had no experience skiing and like, they wouldn't finish the schema races, you know, like to be able to like manage the skins and the gear and the transitions. Cause when you go from uphill to downhill, or even if you go from like skinning to boot packing, you're transitioning your gear and like changing the way that it functions, like locking your boots down and pulling the skins off. And, um, that could be like a couple years long podcast <laughs> getting into yeah. that, um, all that stuff. And like, yeah, the nutrition and hydration, uh, in the winter. And then obviously like the skiing. Um, and I think people forget too, like the climbing is also a technical component, like being able to move well in the skin tracks or trails that you take up. Um, when, especially when they get like steep or icy or tons of turns or off camber or whatever it is, like you might be strong enough to move faster, but if you don't have the like technique to apply that power on unstable terrain, and then obviously if it's like steep enough to be like climbing or like yeah, on fixed lines or on rocky ridges and things like that, then yeah. 
the technical proficiency makes a big difference. So yeah, it's huge. Yeah. It's massively entertaining and complicated. And it's like mountain biking where even if you're super duper fit, if you have a mechanical issue, it ends your race. Or like if your skins get wet and then you're not getting the right traction, you underperform. And so it it's not just as simple like with trail running for the most part it's like you just get fit do the workouts show up right. <laughs> fail your nutrition and you're good right yeah with schema it's like you, yeah. you do rely on luck a little bit don't you yeah there's definitely like you can prepare to the extent that those things become less likely to be yeah. issues that was definitely something that wasn't appealing to me at first was like, Oh, like the waxing and the gear and whose skins are better. And this and that like determines how well you do instead of just like, who's the fittest, but I've really come to, to appreciate and love all the, the other parts of the sport that makes like preparing for the event. So, um, yeah, like complicated and technical and fun. Yeah. Cool. So can you speak to the growth of the sport as somebody who is competing at the highest level right now? Because I view ski mountaineering as being just like a few years behind trail and ultra running in terms of its adoption by a broader endurance audience. What can you say about the growth of the sport? Yeah, I think we're probably on a similar trajectory, but the unfortunate thing with schemo is the barrier to entry with gear and terrain which i think will be like a problem for forever as long as the sport goes but beyond that i think people are really embracing like the freedom and the beauty of the sport like realizing that there's more to life than yeah pounding miles on roads (laughs) running or yeah a gym or whatever it is but yeah like backcountry skiing and schemo racing are getting super popular in North America, like, um, just using like equipment sales as a barometer, like they're exploding and like the fastest growing winter sports in North America. And yeah, people are definitely, um, yeah, excited. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I think the IOC has identified it as a, a great sport to add to the winter Olympics, which we'll get to in a little bit, but just speaking anecdotally, you know, I lived in Aspen for a long time and I've been ski touring, you know, since I was young. And I remember back in 2012 or whatever, I'd be skinning up Ajax in the morning at six o'clock and there'd be like one or two other people out there. And now (laughs) if you show up at the bottom of the hill to skin up the mountain in the morning, it's like 25, 30 people. And it really is just like such a fantastic mode of winter exercise for those who do have the luxury to have the gear and live in a mountain town. Um, and so there's, yeah, it's no secret as to why people are adopting it because not only is it amazingly fun, um, but also it's incredibly challenging and really helps with fitness. So maybe let's, let's transition to that. Let's talk a little bit about the training. Can you just kind of give us a glimpse into, sort of what training looked like maybe in the early months of the winter as you're preparing to go over to Europe and maybe talk about the balance between like intervals versus endurance versus like the technical skill training. Sure. So in the, I mean, kind of starting with the summer, I, I run and mountain bike all summer and I'm kind of 50, 50 with both. I, I don't really compete mountain biking anymore, but I spend about as much time doing one or the other. And, um, yeah, just like enjoying the summer as it goes by. And then when the calendar turns like September, October, I start to get a little more specific with ski training. So that turns into, instead of running, I'm seeking out like really steep, probably more like hikes and running and yeah, trying to get lots of vert in and 
uh, using poles more that time of year and spending more time in the gym to just get a little more like well-rounded fit and getting ready for ski descents, <laughs> um, and the quad burn and all those glorious things. Yeah. And, um, then as soon as I'm able to ski, I will. So in, in Colorado, usually that's like October, November, if you're, um, good with managing thin snow packs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm start to mix in some backcountry skiing when I can. And then I'm probably still running, um, to get like more of a solid workout in and keeping the gym time in until sometime in like mid to late November, I start to be like, okay, now I'm just skiing and skiing every day is, mm-hmm. um, as, as the snow has started to fill in a little bit more. And then as far as, um, like the, yeah, breakup between endurance and like intervals and all those things. I'm, I try to like keep my intervals or like my really intense period of racing shortened. Like I just find if I do that for more than like three months at a time, I start to get really fried and I don't feel myself improving anymore. So I try to like condense all my races into one period and um, build up to them. And in the winter, a lot of times people will use vertical climbed instead of like mileage or hours or things that a lot of, a lot of other athletes might use. So like a quieter week might be something like 30,000 feet of climbing. And then a really big week might be like 70 or 70 plus thousand feet. Um, those are rare. Savage. A lot of times I say that that's and people huge. are like, Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> um, like that's a couple times a year, but, um, yeah, trying to climb a lot and, um, mix in lots of technical skiing. So like I probably spend probably 60% of my training off the groomed runs off the piste and trying to yeah like move in the backcountry and uh yeah work on those technical components and then when i'm on the resort that's really good for like interval training and moving fast and, and things like that mm, yeah fascinating so describe the difference between the european schemo scene and the american scene because you know in the u.s as we've sort of just spoke about it's really kind of like an ascending sport where in europe it's more established, more professionalized. Talk about the the difference between the maturation of the two cultures. Yeah, they've been very different and are getting closer. Mm-hmm. So what I mean by that is uh, Europe embraced essentially backcountry skiing a uh, long, long time ago, and it's just been immersed in Alp culture for mm-hmm. forever. And they kind of started with the like World War One and World War Two, like alpine divisions of their military so i think it was the italians first like training military personnel to like yeah fight in the high peaks year round and so they were like yeah developing gear and um working on alpinism and the sport really progressed as a result of those global conflicts (laughs) um it's a rosy picture yeah ironically Uh, yeah and then um it was actually a test event, I think in the 1920 Olympics in Chamonix. Whoa. And then um, the U.S. started to catch on for World War II, like the 10th Mountain Division, a lot of people might be familiar with. It's kind of our, our version of it. And then races started to pop up in like the following decades. And I think World Cups and World Championships, like under a global umbrella, are probably like 30-some years old. And uh, speaking more specifically to Europe, like they, yeah, just kind of embrace this movement a lot quicker and it's a much more embedded in their culture and everyone knows what it is and kids do it and they have a huge kind of base of participation um, that the U S doesn't have yet, but 
in the last like 10 years, especially the U S has really been emphasizing like getting youth programs started up and, um, kind of bring more people into the sport and having more races going on. And people are going over to Europe and competing more and more and bringing information back and like a lot more information sharing and, and all that good stuff. So the U S is, is on the up and up for sure. Yeah. So you're only like 25 or 26 right now, 26, 26. Yeah. When did you sort of realize that you had a massive talent at this sport? specifically especially you know sort of growing up in one of the flattest parts of the yeah. country in, in rockford <laughs> illinois and it seems like since you're still so young i mean even if you started in college it's not like you've got a lifetime of experience in the mountains when was it that it clicked for you that like this is my thing yeah i don't know if it ever did like in a in a single moment like my first winter when my sister and I were getting ready for the Grand Traverse, which is one of those races that you compete in teams of two, it was really just trying to finish the race. And like, I DNF some like practice races before. And it was like a big deal just to get to the finish line. And it was like, wow, like we've like participated, like go us. Then the next year was like, Oh, I kind of want to do some other events. And like, Oh, I'm like finishing like mid pack, like, Oh, cool. And then like years go by and like, I never really like noticed a moment where it was like, Oh, like I'm like competing now and like, yeah, doing well. It was just getting a little bit better year to year. And I never really had like an objective single goal of like, Oh, one day I want to win this race or re compete in Europe or get this place in a world cup or whatever. Like it was just wanting to get better year to year. And like, I was really lucky to have this super slow, but linear progression over time where like, I never had like that moment where it's like, Oh, like look at me come out of nowhere. But like every year I just got better and better. And next thing I knew, I like, it was the biggest part of my life and <laughs> competing hard. And yeah. And um, then things like the Andorra race happen. Yeah. Awesome. So we'll get to Andorra in a, in a sec, but I think we'll kind of while we're on this subject and sort of going back to the conversation, the difference between the European scene and the North American scene you're sponsored by Dina Fit, which sort of yeah. pioneered the equipment side of the sport, if I'm not mistaken. They -hmm. support you both in winter sport and summer sport. And obviously you don't have to go into any details, but maybe talk about the professionalization of it too. Like how is how are you supported with the with Dina Fit as a sponsor? And how are the the races both stateside and how do they compare to those in Europe and maybe talk about the professionalization of the sport as we move towards the Olympics in 2026. Yeah. Well, my agent probably doesn't want me to divulge <laughs> the tens of millions of dollars that I'm yeah. making just by doing this podcast. Yeah. It's obviously a really niche sport yeah. Um, and yeah, growing in participation and growing in enthusiasm, but Dina Fitt's been awesome since we started working together for, years ago now and um they're able to support me with gear and um kind of cobbling them together with some other support like i can work kind of part-time in the winter but i'm still like a full-time member of society and yeah. <laughs> workforce in the summertime yeah okay um and then uh yeah like i think they in europe a lot of the athletes are supported by their military like really delving from that's where I was leading yeah, you towards a few minutes ago. Yeah. Yeah. Like their, like their job is that they're soldiers 
for like whatever country's military they're in, but their duty is just to essentially win medals in schema racing. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's amazing. And so I think that applies to like some of the Swiss athletes. I think like Remy Bonet has at mm-hmm. least like some government support. I think Hannes Namberger, who's been crushing it on the trail ultra side has government support. I mean, it's yeah. kind of interesting. And and so as the sport professionalizes and gains more popularity in the United States, and, and maybe as you're competing for spots on that Olympic team here in the next few years, who knows? Maybe uh maybe you'll be kind of making trips to Colorado Springs to train at the yeah. Olympic Training Center and maybe you're getting government support too. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah, I need to convince somebody like guys like a couple tens of thousands a year like wouldn't be a big deal out of this. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think that'll that's a long shot. We'll yeah. see. <laughs> well, you know, I think it for you it's really smart as a young up and coming athlete with a very diverse Skill set, you balancing the winter sport with the summer sport is brilliant. And, and that's what the best European athletes are doing. Remy Bonet, uh, who you just finished on the podium with a few weeks ago, is also a world-class Skyrunner, Golden Trail Series type athlete, usually sub-ultra distance athlete. But there's just like, yeah having the balance between the two seasons makes you, I think, more marketable, more worthy of support. And I think with a partner like Dina Fit, it's like such a perfect match with what what you like to do, which is to be versatile and uh, multi-dimensional when it comes to mountain sport. So, um, totally. And I, I think a part that people miss there a lot too is like, oh, like it's great because like you run in the summer and it makes you better in the winter and then the winter makes you better in the summer. But like part of it too is, is just like having then that increased enthusiasm when the next season comes around, like when May rolls around, like I'm so excited to put my running shoes on. And then when October comes, I'm so excited to to put them away. Um, And like, yeah, like everything's always um, fresh and exciting. What a great point. And motivation is always the most important thing. It's always the first step. And then the success is because the the training becomes the easy part. And then ultimately that leads to success in most cases. So, you know, I'm also intrigued by people like you and Killian Jornet, obviously absolute legend, one of the great athletes of all time, Anton Palzer, who famously was like a champion ski mountaineering athlete and now (laughs) races professionally for, um, or a hands grow the, um, the professional cycling team. So talk about that. Like, you know, obviously you guys have amazing engines, but they also translate across these different sports. So is there anything there that you kind of want to talk about or other examples of athletes who maybe you look up to in terms of their versatility across sports? Yeah, I think winter sport athletes are, are often unique in the fact that like you can't do your sport 12 months a year. Like every Olympic Nordic skier runs or bikes or, or does something else. And every schema racer runs or bikes or does whatever else in the summer. So it's like, you have to be versatile by, um, by force to like stay, um, competitive and stay moving. So I think that that's like forced winter sport athletes and especially winter sport endurance athletes to yeah embrace the like year round versatility and, um, yeah, diversity of sports and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's just, I'm always intrigued by athletes like Bo Jackson, who famously was 
professional athlete in football and baseball and Deion Sanders and, you know, yourself and Killian and Anton. <laughs> it's like, it's so cool. And I'm envious of you guys with your, your, uh, various uh professional sports that you take part in so yeah i'll I'll never forget that the one time in my life that i'll ever be compared to deon sanders <laughs> yeah, or bo jackson yeah, yeah. Legends, oh, legend. i'll remember this moment for forever <laughs> the free trail podcast is brought to you by gnarly nutrition gnarly is an awesome sports nutrition company based in utah that specifically focuses on us the outdoor and mountain sport athletes of the world and OMG are their products amazing. I've been using the fuel to o drink mix for the past six months and have been blown away by the product for long runs, workouts, and race fueling. The cherry cola flavor of the fuel to o mix is especially delicious. You'll never have to resort to Coca-Cola with this magical elixir in your bottles. And that is just one product amid an insanely robust collection and nearly all their products are NSF certified for sport. It's an incredibly valuable investment that they've made to enhance their brand's product and their brand's reputation, something I certainly very much value as an athlete. Go check out Gnarly. The whole product offering is at gonarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15 for 15% off your order. GoGnarly.com, free trail 15. So let's talk about the Grand Traverse. So again, this is where uh, you absolutely smashed me, you and your partner. I think it was Tom Goth in 2019, the year that I did it. I was racing with my friend, Seth Swanson, who's also a great trail runner. It's actually my first ski mountaineering race ever. And it absolutely oh, nice. kicked my ass. I totally underestimated it. And you guys smashed it, but then... This year, you won it again and set the course record. So tell the people who aren't familiar what the Grand Traverse is, what its significance is in the ski mountaineering world, and what you think contributed to you smashing the course record at this iconic race. Yeah, that was, that was probably Rory Kelly I was teamed with in 2019. And then Tom Goff was actually my partner for the, the record year this year. Mm. Um, and then Mike Foote, I've been registered for with or registered with for the race like three times and there's always been some extenuating circumstance, but anyway. Um, yeah. So like I mentioned earlier, that's kind of the race that got me into skiing in the first place of just trying to finish this kind of iconic local race. So what the grand traverse is, is a ski mountaineering race. It's pretty flat. Um, so some people like think that calling it a schema race is a little overzealous, um, but it starts in Crested Butte, Colorado, and then skis 40 miles to the north to Aspen. It starts in the middle of the night because you want to get people up and over the dangerous passes before the, the springtime sun um, increases the Abbey danger. So there's like 200 some teams, so 400 something people skiing from town to town in the middle of the night. And it's, it's a really remote route. Like, I don't know if you got that Super sense while we were out there, yeah. but um, it's not wilderness, but it is like there's points where you're 10 miles from the nearest road yeah. still, uh, which is amazing. It's yeah. this like super remote, remote route. Yeah. Between the two towns. And, um, it started a while ago is I think 98 was the first one, which makes it in the scheme of schema racing, like one of the oldest events around. And it's, um, yeah, just like the, the classic local thing to do, like everybody races the grand traverse every year, like mostly just to finish it and like get to Aspen and, 
get to the party on the other side of the mountains. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's super cool point to point race. And, um, it doesn't really line up with a lot of the training that I'm doing with trying to be prepped for these like short intense world uh, cup races. But yeah. last year with not traveling anywhere, um, I wanted to find some challenge to like, yeah, keep moving forward and stay motivated. So I picked out the like three races that happen near me that are all like big and yeah, have been around for a long time and have some competitive records and tried to ski Tuan as fast as I could and get each of the three records. So there's the Gothic Mountain Tour and Crested Butte and then Power of Four, which I don't know if you've done. I know I haven't done up it. I was actually once. supposed to do yeah. it with Mike too. And yeah. I, and I, I had to bail because I got sick. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's got some juju going on. Yeah, yeah. Talk to him. But <laughs> no, because I, um, I asked him to race, but he was like, oh no, I'm already with Dylan. Oh um, yeah. Right. I can't remember what year that was. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so the Traverse was the third one. So I was, yeah, at altitude all winter and kind of doing higher volume training all winter and supposed to race with John Gaston, who we already mentioned and is an amazing athlete, but he had to bail for injury reasons too, which yeah happens a lot yeah. in events like this. And then Tom from Utah, Tom Gah, um, jumped in. I think he found out he was racing on like Wednesday or Thursday <laughs> And then like did a one-way car rental and drove to Crested Butte and uh, yeah, like jumped into the race without any, yeah, prep. But And you guys broke the course record, man. And this race has been around for a long time and has sort of like a mythical tradition behind it. And it's funny, you mentioned that the race starts at midnight in Crested Butte. And for most of the race's history, the winners finish well after sunrise in downtown Aspen. But the sport has progressed so much that you guys finished in the dark this year. And so maybe talk about like the evolution of the equipment, because I know that's also been a massively important thing with the evolution of the competitive side of the sport and specifically with the Grand Traverse, where people used to use Nordic gear. And now with companies like DinaFit making such great stuff, you guys are able to finish, you know, well before sunrise in Aspen. <laughs> yeah, I get I think a good way to understand it is it started as this like bonkers, insane, terrifying Nordic race and has turned into like a pretty tame schema race, but the course never changed. Just the gear did. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, in the like nineties and two thousands, people did it on Nordic gear and that was a combination of like fish scales or kick wax or putting skins on Nordic gear or whatever it is. And then trying to survive the descent somehow, some way, which still blows my mind because I've never like I came in at the the wrong era to experience the the Nordic style Grand yeah. Traverse I never did it myself so I can only hear the the legendary stories of skiing down Star Pass and such but yeah, uh, yeah I, can't imagine, I can't imagine doing oh it on Nordic gear yeah <laughs> but even but the, though like the the last six seven miles across uh Richmond Ridge that would be like Nordic heaven up there, right? I mean, do you find totally. that, like, if you if you could swap your skis out at that point, would you? Would you put Nordic skis on for the last hour? If Maybe if the conditions were perfect and, and people still, like, speculate about, like, oh, like, I think on the perfect conditions, skate skis and skins are probably the fastest way to do it. Uh-huh. I'm not, like, totally convinced because I can't see a situation where, like, you'd have good, like, glazed, firm crust down low but also like skiable descents up high on on little skis and like they're still a little more unstable and kind of the point we we're getting to too with the evolution of gear is like the, the schema racing gear is not much heavier than 
Nordic stuff anymore. Like yeah. the boots are all carbon, at least at the highest level. Like most people don't use that yeah. kind of wacky stuff. And the skis are like the same weight and the bindings are the same weight. And um, so like you have the weight savings, but obviously it's much more capable and stable on the descents and technical parts. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny, man. I still am a little traumatized from my Grand Traverse experience. I'm so, oh, no. so happy I did it, but I totally underestimated it and really came to appreciate as somebody who's been ski touring my whole life, just like how complicated ski mountaineering racing is and the management of the equipment really it was the, um, the management of the skins for me, which I had, I brought three pairs of skins with me and they were all like completely soaked and ruined the halfway through the race. And so yeah. it's like, and then he just stranded, oh like we gosh. said, like as far away from help as you can possibly be total survival <laughs> mode. So yeah. I was very impressed with you guys. And, uh, also again, yeah, seeing you break the record this year, um, finishing in the dark. It's really, really awesome to see the progression of the sport. So let's now talk about this awesome achievement that you just, just had in Europe. You were the first American ever to podium at a Schemo world cup in January. Talk about that huge breakthrough for you. What was that race like? And, uh, how'd you feel afterwards? Yeah, well, I have some, some clarifiers to that. There was a, a woman named Nina Silich who podiumed in a sprint actually she won a sprint and then podium and a couple others in like 2012 which i think maybe 2012 2013 was the first year that they even contested the sprint so she was like the best right away and then like she hasn't i think gotten the recognition she deserves since then because then she stopped racing and then everybody else started and like you just recognize the people that do it at the same time sure. as you but thanks yeah. anyway and then um grace staberg from uh, Silverthorne, Colorado has podium several times, um, in verticals and individuals in the youth category. So I was the first American senior man on a Sunday in January, <laughs> something like that. A lot, a lot um, of qualifiers, but I yeah. mean, an awesome achievement, man. I mean, yeah, thank you for, for giving recognition to those two as well. But, but talk about that. I mean, it seemed like a massive step forward, not only for yourself, but for this, this, the American side of the sport. Yeah. So like, as much as I make fun of it, like, I think it was a big step forward because it was the first senior men's podium in a world cup and not just, I was thinking about it and I'm not sure, I'm not positive this is true, but I'm pretty sure it's not just the first American podium under those <laughs> qualifiers, but I think it's the first non-European top 10. Like, I don't think like if I would have finished 10th, I think it would have been like, Oh, like first time, like, anyone's even done that. So I, I skipped wow. a few steps at some point in the race, but the event um, was a vertical. So like we talked about earlier is that only uphill event and it was competed in Andorra, which a lot of people don't know is a tiny landlocked country between France and Spain. Yep. Awesome mountains in the Pyrenees. Um, and it's just like a sporting country that, that everybody should know about and try to visit if they can. Um, and uh, the circumstances for the race where there's an individual Saturday and then a vertical on Sunday. And with a COVID exposure situation, I wasn't allowed to race Saturday, but was on Sunday. Um, so lined up for the vertical, uh, fresh legs, admittedly, after most other people raced Saturday, sometimes people skip one event or the other. I yeah. tried to never, but then was, yeah, had to this time. Um, so started in like 71st place out of 71 because you're ranked by world cup points. And then the gun went off and like, I 
it, I didn't feel like any particular, like I didn't get out of bed that morning feeling like I could float or anything, yeah. um, but just raced my hardest. And like, it was kind of fun to like, I described it as like playing offense the entire game. It's like, imagine a, a ball sport like basketball or soccer. And like, you have the ball the entire time. It's like at no point was I like defending places from anybody. I was just yes. passing and passing yes. and passing. And it was just like, I'll see how many people I can get before I run out of time. <laughs> And I'd had a few really good, what I thought for me was really good uh, results in the past. I had like some 20th-ish finishes in the vertical, and that was a really big deal to me at the time. And I was kind of looking to maybe improve on that a little bit with, yeah, just being a few years older and stronger in theory. And during the race, I was just like passing guy after guy. And like, you know who all these people are because we, yeah, like follow them on social media and they're like yeah, the people that have been leading the sport for forever. So it's like, oh, I'm like racing with so-and-so. Like, oh, I passed so-and-so. Like, I must be doing okay. And like that thought loop went through my head 70 times. Yes. Or, yeah, it's 68 or 69 times or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and Remy Bonet, who I think a lot of people listening to this podcast will be familiar with, had an amazing race and was off the front. Um, but I got into this group that was probably like, second through 10th and we were kind of like duking it out with each other and I eventually like broke away right before the finish and then got caught by another Italian who's an amazing sprinter named Robert Antonioli so he beat me by I think two tenths of a second and then I ended up third for the race but yeah it was over the moon and and still still Uh, am amazing so I'm just gonna read your Instagram caption from that day because I think it encapsulates it it encapsulates your your feeling and I thought it was awesome and poignant, but you said, today is for all the people who have ever once supported and encouraged me. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. I was devastated to miss yesterday's race. Today I lined up last place on the start line with a renewed <laughs> gratitude for the opportunity to race World Cups. My job was simply to race up the mountain as hard as possible. Along the way, I passed every racer in the field except Remy Bonet then was caught back by the amazing Robert and Antonioli. I have never finished higher than 20th in the World Cup, but while attacking relentlessly towards the front, I just had an unshakable belief that I belonged and could trust my body to do it. I never gave up on myself and I fought to the last step. <laughs> Went on to continue to thank people, but a huge freaking achievement for you, man. And I think, you know, as a 25-year-old, with the sort of like growth of this sport and with the Olympics coming up, you're probably feeling really excited about your future in the sport and the future of the American talent in the sport. You mentioned Grace Stayberg a moment ago, who seems like she's world-class level as well, likely going to be sort of competing for those spots in 2026. How are you thinking about the Olympics in, in 2026 when ski mountaineering is going to be included i mean obviously it's take nothing for granted but what are your honest feelings about what it means for the sport and for you individually yeah and and one thing real quick um that i just found out about like an hour or two ago was a a young guy from utah who i didn't even know existed like a month ago named griffin briley just won the european championships in the vert so he's like not eligible to be in the results since we're not european Uh. but a couple americans went over just to compete um, like as part of a world cup circuit. So there's, yeah, it's just some other random Utah kid that just had an amazing race. Silent crushers, man. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the Olympics have been my dream for forever. Like even before I skied, like I, 
was obsessed with the Olympics, like as a runner. And then even before that, just like as a young kid watching the games on TV and yeah, like I, I love the Olympics. I'm a huge Olympics fan and it's been a massive goal for me since before it was even announced. Like I think people in the sport had an impression for a long time that it was going to be added to the Olympics. We just didn't know when. And we're recording this during the Beijing 2022 games. And I think people might understand why China didn't feel like, or didn't, wasn't able to add it for their games. Like they just don't have the terrain and the snow for it. Um, But then Milan Cortina is going to host it in 2026 and they're, they're all about it. So yeah, it was added officially added in July of this year. And then like it, it felt like this like secret goal for so long because the sport that I do wasn't even in the games. And then now that it's out there, like I'm, I'm willing to like be bold and talk about it of like, yeah, I want to go and I want to be there. And I, and I don't just want to participate. Like once I'm there, I want to compete and do my best. So yeah, it's a massive, massive goal. Heck yes, dude. We'll, we'll be rooting you on. And I have to say, just like looking at your Instagram, you have a uniquely American look in the field too. You know, you've got the beard, you got the long hair in the For race sure. where you finished on the podium. You got like the flat brim Dina fit hat totally. on, like <laughs> full on represent, bro. It's yeah. great. Yeah, they love it. <laughs> so, so just kind of last question on the ski mountaineering stuff. Cause I want to also spend time talking about trail running, which is sort of your side hustle at this point. <laughs> um, you're back in the USA. What does the rest of the winter, the schemo season look like for you before we start talking about what's ahead for the summer? Yeah. So we have our national championships in Vail uh, at the end of February. So they're going to have a sprint vertical and individual. It's a big deal because Vail is going to host a world cup in 2023. So this is like a test event a year out and really exciting knowing that we're going to get some home field advantage after all these years of racing over in Europe. But um, yeah, so Vail's a big deal for me because of that. And then I'll go over and do a race called the Pyramenta, which is a four day stage race in Arèche, France. And if someone's like, Oh, like where have I heard of Arèche? That's where Francois from. I bet there's lots of Francois fans on oh, here yeah. Oh, yeah. on your podcast. Myself oh, included. I mean, I think that's I, how I learned of the race. Cause he does Pyramenta like every yeah, year. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And and I don't want the podcast to go by without saying awesome job at Hard Rock. That was super cool to follow. Oh, thanks. Thanks, bro. Yeah. <laughs> um, Freaking yes, Francois, just, dude. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, he's amazing. But, he's too good. Uh, and he actually races World Cups for France, yeah. too. I don't know if you, if you recognize that. But, yeah, it's this four-day stage race, super cool event in France. And then I'll do one more World Cup there. And then I'll come back to um, North America and go to Kicking Horse. Canada and do our North American continental championships up there. And then by then I'll be like satisfied with my season, but there's still events left. So the grand traverse is the next week. I don't have a partner, like any plans figured out for it, but I would hate to miss it if I was able to do it. And then sure. um, the five peaks and Breckenridge is the next week. So if I'm able to do those two, then great. But if not, then um, I'll have done everything that yeah. I really had my sights set on. Well, I mean, what a lot of people will probably notice is that the volume at which you can race in ski mountaineering is pretty impressive just compared to running. And admittedly, this is going to be a running centric audience that we talk about or that we're talking to, and we should start talking about running now (laughs) Um, to entertain those uh, who, who do care about that side of the sport. And I mean, you've been sort of silently smashing it in trail races recently. So I guess maybe let's start 
talking or start down this road by just talking about kind of your history with trail running. When did you start to kind of take it more seriously? And then, you know, obviously I want to start getting into the rod and the Pikes Peak ascent and things like that. Sure. Well, I, um, the Grand Traverse has a, a summer version. So there's actually a run that goes from CB to Aspen and then a mountain bike that comes back the next day over Labor Day weekend. If you do all three, it's the triple crown, they call it. Yeah. I'd done that a couple times as sort of my like, yeah, dipping my toe in ultra running. And I did really well there, but it's like a pretty small, low key race in the scheme of the world. Um, but and you, what, you won it, I, didn't you? I did. Yeah. yeah. I, I won it. I guess three times there was one year that it was reversed when, um, yeah, with COVID, but that's yeah. a whole nother story. Um, actually that one was what ended my ultra running career, which is a different <laughs> conversation or, or topic, I guess. Yeah. No, maybe well, let, let's, that. let's, <laughs> let's talk about it. So obviously the grand traverse is 40 miles. Um, so yeah. What, what about that race made you, less interested in the, in the long stuff and focus more on the shorter stuff. Yeah. So I, I'd done it those three times and that was really the only like running goal that I had for the most part during those years. And, uh, like I, yeah, had some great races and a lot of fun and it was like the first ultras that I did and it's our local race, which was really special and, and exciting. And then in 2020, probably in like springtime, I decided I really wanted to make my summer look more like my winter. So like the schema races are so like short and fast and hard that like doing yeah, 40 mile ultra runs in the mountains just aren't the most specific prep. So I oh. signed up for, so you were, you're doing this with your ski mountaineering season in mind, not necessarily Ex your running season. Exactly. Yeah. Ah. So that year I had signed up for Pikes peak, I think maybe the ascent. Yeah. I signed up for the ascent in 2020 and the rut and maybe it was just those two and then everything got canceled. And so I'd been like training for those things. And then the grand traverse was like the only race still happening. So I did it the last year in 2020, um, not as prepared as I would have liked to be, but kind of like shrugged that off and told myself I'd be fine. Cause like I'd done it a few times before and it was the reverse year. So started and finished in Crested Butte. And I, it was all wave starts. So I started in the first wave and I was like doing fine off the start. Like my knees and feet were hurting by probably like an hour in. And then my stomach was going South by like three hours in. And like, eventually, like, I just kept telling myself it would come around. Like I know a lot of ultra runners have the <laughs> yeah. mentality, which is a beautiful mentality that like, Oh, if I just stay, stay in it and keep pushing myself, then like, I'll give myself a chance to come around. And so that's what I was trying to do. And it just got worse and worse yeah. every mile. And, and that year, I think it was lengthened to like 47 miles. Um, and I was just like hobbled the last few hours and felt so terrible, but was trying as hard as I could to get to the finish line first. Cause I was like, well, like I'm, I'm already having a really painful experience, but maybe I can like still win this race and like launch my, yeah, like self into fall and winter with some, some confidence and was running as hard as I could. And just in this like terrible physical state and crossed the finish line. And then a few minutes later, Nick Corey, yep. I'm not sure if I pronounce his last yep. name, right. Yep. Um, who hopefully a lot of people are catching on to now. He just had an awesome year. Yeah. You think he's second um, or third in ultra runner of the year this year? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's super consistent guy. Yeah. 
Yeah, totally. He finished three minutes and 1.8 seconds behind me, but started three minutes later. So I ended up beating him by two <laughs> seconds. Um, and I felt so bad. I was like shattered at the finish line and like medical personnel are helping me. Yeah. And I was trying to be like, Nick, like good race. And then like disappeared, didn't do the podium ceremony, like didn't get out of bed for a week. Oh man. <laughs> the then I saw him at Kendall Mountain Run this summer and I was like, dude, like I'm so sorry about last year. Like yeah. I pr- like I wanted to congratulate you and high five you and like be bros. And I was just so bad. He's like, oh, I've been there. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, I, I realized after that, especially that like ultra running was just not, um, really conducive to my goals in the winter. So yeah. then, well, dude, you're 25 on. too. I mean, like it could always be something that you do later on in your career, but totally. I mean, and yeah. like you have so much talent. So like, let's talk about some of the shorter stuff that you did this year. Did you do the Pikes Peak marathon this year or did you do I the, did the marathon? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And you finished third, I think in the Pikes Peak marathon yeah. behind mm-hmm. Seth Damore and Adam Peterman, who I had on the show recently, but yeah. studs, had a great, great episode. Studs. <laughs> so, I mean, like that's an awesome performance. And then you went to the rut and you were second to Adam in the VK and then you won the 26 K or 28 K. I can't remember what the distance is there, but like you beat Dakota Jones there and, I mean, like you've got legit talent for kind of like either the VK stuff or the sub ultra kind of sky running golden trail series stuff. How does that, I mean, I know skiing and your winter season is the priority athletically for you now, but what do you think about like those performances and how does it make you think about your summertime goals as an athlete? Yeah. I mean, I, I just love competition no matter what the medium is. So now with like doing these like shorter running races where I can do more of them and um, yeah, there's like faster and more exciting to me. Um, yeah. Excited to keep doing some different events and yeah, see where it goes and keep pushing myself. And what I did in 2021 was I tried to do all races that I had never done before. So I think I ended up doing five or six different events and every single one was new to me and they were all, yeah, like mountainous and short and hard and just the things that I find that I like. And I'm excited to yeah keep finding other events and just see where it goes. Yeah. So, I mean, the rut in particular, obviously that was your first time there saying that you wanted to do only races that you hadn't done before. I've actually never been to the rut, but everybody who goes oh, no it says it's like the greatest race ever. And it's obviously very you know, high caliber competition across all the distances. I don't know. Is there any part of you who like feels that if you are a little bit more specialized one way or the other, that, you know, maybe you would get more out of yourself or I I don't know, I guess what I'm getting at is like, how seriously do you want to take the running side of your athletic career? Because like, you've already proven you've beaten some of the legends of the game. So it's like, I don't know, how far do you want to push the trail running side of your competitive life? Well, like, I think what happened with this recent result with schema for me was just the result of trying to get better year to year. And I always had these like really vague concepts of like, Oh, if I just keep getting better year to year, like, I don't know where that'll end. And I never put a cap on it in any sense. And I, I still haven't, like, it's not like the race in Andorra changes anything for me on a day-to-day basis, but 
like I never had super concrete goals at like the top end of my like future projections of where I like thought I could possibly end up. It was just trying to get better year to year. And, and one day I'll stop racing this way and stop being competitive. And then I'll look back and like, yeah, be stoked on the journey of it all. And I see running the same way. Like I, I don't know if I'll do like, maybe I'll, yeah, compete exactly as I did this year and not do any better. And maybe I'll get a little bit better year after year, hopefully. And we'll see where that ends up in however long. And um, yeah, I'm just going to take it year by year. Sweet. So do you see cultural similarities between ski mountaineering and trail running? Do you see some of the same people at the various races? And like, yeah, is there any, anything that you find to be sort of uh, uniquely compelling about ski mountaineering that we don't have in trail running or vice versa? And I think they, they complement each other beautifully of just like the, the thought that lots of people have shared of like, well, I just like moving in the mountains and this is the way to do it in the summer. And this is the way to do it in the winter. Um, so I think that there's like, they're 99% the same, uh, in the, in the grand scheme of things you can do in life. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I think that just embracing the change of seasons can be a really valuable thing for people. And like, obviously there's the fitness changes that we talked about and like the enthusiasm and stoke, um, in the change of seasons and all that. Like, I think there's lots to be learned from doing one or the other. I think that runners that start doing schemo seriously start to learn more of like how dialing in your nutrition and technical components and being able to move smoothly and in difficult terrain is is important and then um running probably makes schemo racers look a little more at the yeah like high performance side of things and how to optimize their fitness and all that so there's great things about both and in the scheme of the world they're almost the exact same thing but um, those little differences make them unique. Do you take an off season of any sort? Like, is there any period of the year where you kind of totally unplug from competition and exercise altogether? Or do you just switch back and forth between the two? Yeah, I, I make myself t- take usually a week off in the fall and then probably like 10 days in the spring. And those, like I dread those, really? those weeks. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just force myself to have a, a few weeks off during the year. Cause otherwise it would be, I think really easy to just train too much. Cause there's always something to do. Like if the skiing's bad, the running's good. If the running's bad, maybe you can mountain bike, whatever. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I think it would just be too easy to, to run myself into the ground. So I try to take those two breaks a year. Amazing. Well, Cam, dude, this has been super fun, man. I'm, I'm now a huge fan of yours. I can't wait to continue to follow you. You're super young. You got the world ahead of you and it's going to be entertaining to follow as we move towards the Olympics. And as we continue to follow your career as a trail runner, let's close by talking about your upcoming running season. We talked about what you have coming up for ski mountaineering. Do you have any races on the calendar for the, the summer months, uh, on, on, on two feet in shoes rather than on skis? Yeah, I um I really want to do the rut and Pikes Peak again and just try to improve there. Uh I really liked doing everything for the first time this past year, but I liked the rut and Pikes Peak enough to like make those priorities going forward. I think that they're both super cool events and yeah. really liked the experience of both and yeah, excited to like have a consistent race to use as a personal barometer 
Then other than that, I'm not sure. I'm pretty bad about thinking about the summertime during the winter. <laughs> I just like, yeah, it's not Live the first the thing present. on my mind. And then, Live in the present. Yeah. <laughs> like we mentioned, or like I mentioned earlier too, like I'm working full-time or over full-time in the summer. Uh, um, what do you do? So it's a little, what do I you work do? for the Adaptive Sports Center in Crested Butte. So we do outdoor programming for folks with all kinds of disabilities. I see your hat now. Oh yeah, that. that's me. Well, that's awesome, dude. Well, I mean, we can't let you go without talking about that. I mean, that sounds like something that's got to be immensely fulfilling for you. Talk about the work that you do. Oh, sure. Like it's the the coolest job in the world. And I think that a lot of times the instructors first or an activity like that or an industry like that get a lot of credit. I was like, oh, like good for you. Like how generous of you to spend your time doing that, which I really don't see being the case like uh i think it's like i just love the people with and um we just get to be outside every day and like i see it as like somebody comes in with whatever kind of impairment or disability that they're working through and you figure out how to make an activity work for that person so like they have a spinal cord injury or this cognitive disability and they're going mountain biking or they're going rock climbing or whatever it is like you just figure out whatever adaptations you need to make that work and then once you do that you're just out for a day with so and so so yeah it's just the best job ever i really like the people that we work with and um they they give us a lot and we learn a lot from them that's oh, super cool man. that's so great man i'm gonna look that up i'll put a link in the show notes is there a way for people sure, to, yeah. to support i mean is there there's probably a way to donate or get involved at least see what's going on there yeah yeah we're a nonprofit. um so we love and accept donations and then anyone locally that wants to get involved in volunteer or there's internships um as well for people to spend a full season uh there and yeah there's all kinds Dude. of ways but all the information's on the website amazing i can't wait to check this out adaptive sports center in crested butte Colorado. Yeah, exactly. Free Trail will make a donation too. You have my word. We're gonna oh, do it. sweet. Thanks so much. Well, Cam, dude, this is awesome, man. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I can't wait to continue to follow you. I was hoping you were going to say you were going to go like race the Golden Trail series or something in Europe as well, a do trail you have any? Do you have any suggestions? What dude, should I be looking yeah. at? Yeah. Okay. So you should go do Zagama, the Mont Blanc Marathon. Okay. Okay. And Sierras and all. That's what you should okay. go do. And then all you right. qualify for the Worlds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So check out the Golden Trail series. That yeah. that shit is yeah. made for but you. And I should clarify, like I'm familiar with all those. It's yeah. not that I'm like in the dark about running. Like I follow all those and yeah, yeah I'm excited about all of them. But um one day I'll I'll make a commitment to, to do those cool events. Maybe this year. We'll yeah. see. Awesome. Well, we can't wait to watch. Well, thanks again for coming on the pod. It's been a joy to chat. Yeah, it was a blast, Dylan. Thanks so much for having me. Best of luck for for UTMB for you. <laughs> I'm excited to follow your summer. Thanks, bro. Thank you, Cam. What a guy. How fun was that? I honestly loved that conversation. Uh, as we said, that was our first time ever interacting. And uh, man, I'm so impressed. He has got all the talent and seemingly the work ethic and definitely the personality to be a dominator on the schemo and trail running circuit. I can't wait to follow his career. You should too. Go follow Cam on Instagram. He's only got a small following right now. Let's change that. I put a link to his profile in the show notes. 
Smash the follow button, send him a DM, let him know that you're rooting for him in the remaining races in his winter schedule, and then make sure you keep your eyes on this kid in the summer season as he retires the skis for a few months and starts smashing trail races. Uh, Can't wait to follow this guy. Also, I put a link to the Adaptive Sports Center in Crested Butte that we talked about at the very end of the conversation. Free Trail made a donation. I would encourage you all to, if you have the means, go support this awesome organization in Crested Butte that Cam is a part of. Again, you can find a link to the donation page in the show notes. Thank you to our sponsors, Speedland and Gnarly Nutrition. Honestly, the show would not exist without their support. You can find links to their websites along with the discount codes also in the show notes. Go take advantage of these amazing products, support these companies that really do make all our media efforts possible. Appreciate you guys so much for listening. We will be back in your feed in just a couple days with an awesome free trail Friday that I'm really excited about. But that's it for now. Love you guys so, so much. Thanks for being here. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.